How does a small town boy from southern Indiana end up going to art school in Georgia, hanging out with Dan Marino and Aerosmith in South Florida, and then becoming a meteorologist and storm chaser in Oklahoma? Find out on this latest episode of the GeoTrek podcast with Tulsa, Oklahoma meteorologist Michael Sager. This podcast is relevant to young professionals making career decisions and trying to figure out what path to take, particularly if they have an interest in weather and climate. We also touch on some valuable perspectives about extreme weather communication, as well as precautions you can take to protect yourself if you live in tornado country. Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Hal, host of the GeoTrek podcast. Here we are at podcast episode number 65, and we're so thankful to have you along for the ride. GeoTrek investigates the impact of extreme weather and natural disasters on individuals and communities. Our goal is to help you improve your decision-making, risk assessment, and communication related to extreme events so you can take action to make yourself, your family, and your community more resilient. Hey, before we get into this podcast, we have a quick favor to ask of you. We'd really appreciate it if you take a moment to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Your subscription helps us mark professional progress, which ensures many more episodes of the GeoTrek podcast in the future. Now let's get to know this week's guest a little bit better. Michael Seger is the Monday to Friday morning meteorologist at Two News Oklahoma in Tulsa. He forecasts, produces, and presents the on-air weather segments on Two News Oklahoma today. During severe weather, he takes off the suit and goes into chase mode, becoming the lead meteorologist in the field, chasing severe weather and tornadoes that may affect his coverage area. I met Michael at the National Storm Chaser Summit near Oklahoma City the first weekend in February. We recorded this podcast live from the summit. Here we are at the National Storm Chaser Summit in Midwest City, Oklahoma, very close to Oklahoma City. I'm with Michael Sager, broadcast meteorologist from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Michael, thank you so much for taking time to come on the GeoTrek podcast. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. This has been an amazing conference. Have you had a good conference so far? It has been amazing, you know, and the the content we've been uh, seeing is fantastic. But what's even better yet is just, you know, seeing all the people, all the chasers and, you know, some of what you see out on the plains every spring and having a chance to catch up again after the winter. It's really nice post-COVID, too, to have these conferences and workshops in person, right? You get the relationship side of it, not just the meteorology. Absolutely. And, and that's the that's the big thing. You know, I had uh, somebody ask me yesterday, you know, because I, I do have a meteorology background. So a lot of this the content that is being shown, I already know. He's like, so what, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I love chasing. And I, I just, the people, you know, these are the people that think like me and, and, you know, have that f- passion for weather and, and for severe storms. And, and it's just great being here. Yeah, that's right. The community is really amazing. Absolutely. Michael, I wanted to start with you. Like I know for a lot of people that got into meteorology, they were interested in it as a kid, or there was like a triggering storm. I mean, going back for you, how, how long were you interested in meteorology? And what was that like as a kid growing up? You know, I, I originally had a fear of lightning and tornadoes. Like I can remember when I was very, very young, I used to have nightmares. And it, this might sound crazy, but I used to have nightmares of lightning bolts that would not flash, but they were just in the sky and the, and the whole shape and everything used to give me a fear. And I would have nightmares of, of tornadoes coming and, uh, and uh, hitting our house. And uh, it, that fear, though, over time became a curiosity. Okay. And uh, I grew up in a very small town in southern Indiana, Dubois, Indiana. It's kind of between Evansville, Indiana, Louisville, Kentucky, if, if anybody's familiar. Um, and yeah, I think to this day, it's still Indiana's largest tornado outbreak, June 2nd, 1990. And I remember that day vividly. You know, we were in the basement of our house watching the local television. And as we're down there and the, and the local meteorologists are tracking the storm, 
like I'm just I'm 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 addicted. You know, right right away I'm like I'm watching the storm on on radar with the meteorologist and yeah. I'm we had little windows, you know, we were in the basement of our house, but we had little windows, you know, kind of at the top of the of the of the uh of the ceiling and I wanted to see what was going on, you know. Yeah, you're really like you, you're following it on TV, but you want to peek out the window, yes. see what's going on. Yes. And uh my uh, grandparents is my dad's parents at the time. They didn't have a basement, so they actually came over to our house. And uh, my grandfather and dad went outside, and I, I can I go outside on the front porch and I want to take a this look. This is during the event. This is during the event, and the storm's still, you know, many miles away. And uh, went outside, and that was the very first time I didn't realize that, realize at the time that I saw a massive supercell that was producing a lot of lightning. And it missed us to the north, but it uh, had a long track tornado on it and uh, went from southern Illinois all the way across southern Indiana. Man, so it was close enough that you could see it from your you porch. Could see, you could see the supercell from our porch. Have yes. you ever seen anything like that? I mean, these rotating thunderstorms, they're kind of independent. They're so, in a way, artistic and beautiful, but very dangerous. Yeah, and, you know, I didn't know it at the time what I was looking at. To me, you know... If it had lightning and thunder, it was just a thunderstorm. I didn't understand at the time the differences and types of storms and storm structure. And, and uh, so I totally was clueless at the time. I'm 13 years old. Sure. What I'm actually looking at. Um, but that memory will stick with me. And then I can remember the, the town of Petersburg, Indiana, was, was hit very hard. How uh, far was that from where you lived? Petersburg is probably, oh gosh, I'm trying to think from where I grew up. By the way, the crow flies 20 miles or something or okay. so. Um, pretty much due west and uh, uh, went through town with my dad uh, after they had opened it back up but obviously the, the, the destruction is still there and that was the first time that I had seen F4 tornado damage. So this is like right after the event you drive a through? A couple of weeks or so. Okay, yeah, but, couple weeks still back, but they're still like you got brick homes where the, the, the you can just the walls are gone you know and these are brick homes and an ef4 tornado weeks later you're still going to see a lot of that exactly damage, right? exactly and what and was that like i mean do you ha- recall like memories of like driving through the town and yes. was it what you expected or was it just like whoa this I, is- I didn't know what to expect really you know i i don't remember um at least i don't remember knowing what to expect but i do remember seeing the images and i can still sure. visualize it in my head it's shocking and, and, and at 13 years old you're like holy cow yeah, you didn't you know, know Mother Nature could do that, yeah, right? Yeah, and and that was pretty much the sparking point of this curiosity, which was originally a fear to just just almost obsessed, right? With, like with whether well, like, I wanted to get all the books, I want to, you know, any videos out there, you know, I wanted, wanted to I wanted learn to check it out. everything you could to know, like how does Mother Nature yes. work? How does the atmosphere work? Like how thing. how does nature produce that much power to? cause that much destruction. Wow. And, and so personal when it hits the area where you grew up, right? Yeah, absolutely. So Michael, walk us through then you, you finish high school and now all of a sudden like, okay, well, what are you going to do after that? I well, mean, how did your interest in meteorology evolve through those years? So I didn't go into meteorology right after high school. I, I had a, a debate uh, what I was going to do. Was I going to do meteorology? Was I going to do art? Because I have an art background. I was always good at drawing and, and I took a lot of art classes through through high school. Um, I ended up getting a scholarship to art school and being from a small town and, and uh, um, if I felt like this was an opportunity to do something different 
and uh, I got a scholarship to do it. So I, I, I took a scholarship to the Savannah College of Art and Design in Savannah, Georgia. Oh, wow. Okay. So you were, you were thinking, different part of the country. Different part different of the country. Experience, different experience. And you're going to really focus on this love, love you have of art. Yes. And uh, I always thought, I, you know, I had thought about doing weather, but I was also, and it's crazy now that I'm, I'm doing broadcast meteorology, but I was extremely shy and introverted. And TV... At that time, like, there's no way I can get in front of You're the like, camera. I'm not going to be on a camera in front yeah. of all those people. Yeah, exactly. So you went, so you like dove really into art. I mean, so uh, I'm curious though, like, what were your undergrad years like? I mean, what did, how did you develop as an artist? I, I really enjoyed it. I majored in computer art. That was the degree at the time. This would be, uh, so I graduated high school in 1995. Um, and, uh, at the time, that was uh, like computer animation, your Toy Story kind of thing. Yeah, just coming uh, was out. Just coming out, and uh, and that's kind of what this degree was uh, was uh, involved in. Plus, a lot of special effects. You know, some of my classmates have gone on to to work yeah. for these big companies in Hollywood and, and help make some of Doing these like amazing animation movies. and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but me, I, I realized as I'm getting later in my years, I'm really getting involved. In it. While I thought it was really cool, it is painstakingly uh time consuming and i don't i didn't know if i had the patience to very like detail oriented it's yeah. detail oriented and it's it's you know to make those animations and make those uh computer animations it's it's a lot of time it's a lot of work and it's a lot of sitting in front of a computer yeah yeah that's right it has become what used to be maybe drawing on mm-hmm. a, you know pencil and paper now is is all computerized right yeah and, and I, I still enjoyed it but I, there was a part of me that was like you know I don't know if I want to do this as sure a like career, long-term profession a long-term profession yeah so how did you transition then from your background in art and that academic training into meteorology so again it's, it's kind of a long story and and uh, um, I gra- ended up graduating from uh, SCAD uh, Savannah College of Art and Design in 1999 um, I did look for jobs I wasn't having much success but I you know I don't think I really had the passion for it to be honest I, I look back at the time I did not yeah have know, that fire like that, I need to get a job like, in this field. yeah yeah exactly and uh, um, I stayed in Savannah for a year I had a good friend of mine uh, we actually tried to do some freelance work uh, uh, in Savannah which we did a little bit but it wasn't enough to to make a living you know we sure. were yeah it was it was a struggle yeah and uh, so I just had this idea, like I'm, I'm going to move to Florida. <laughs> That's I'm not, weather's not even weather is not even an idea right now. So you're like in your low twenties, you have I, this undergrad I, degree I, in I, art, and, and you're going and, to Florida. And, and I'm like, I'm just gonna, you know, I and I was I was actually starting to feel almost kind of down, and you know, sure. like here I, I went, and it's you know a very, um, you know that that school is very high rated and, sure and, sure and like here i am i'm graduating I, you know it's almost a year past and, and i don't have a job and so like yeah. i'm getting a little down on myself sure. And, sure. and and so i just felt like i needed to change um long story short i uh went down for a job interview in miami and uh it was supposed to be some sort of sports marketing thing and and i was just, just, just trying anything you yeah. know and uh, but it wasn't anything what I thought it was going to be, and I talked to my parents that night and like just check the paper, you know, see what see what's in there and sure. and there was this job opening for a doorman at a resort, yeah. Fort Lauderdale Beach. Okay, and I'm like that might be kind of fun. Meet a lot of interesting people. Meet a lot of interesting people, and uh, and you know I think that would be something different. You're on the beach, like I think I'm gonna yeah check this out. 
So I called the number there on the classified ad and uh, uh, went over to the building, which was downtown Fort Lauderdale, where they where they were located. The hotel, the resort wasn't there, but that's where the the company that ran the front door of the resort was. And then they set up an interview that afternoon for me to go over and uh, talk to some of the managers over there. But I had to come back for a second interview to like meet the yeah. GM of the hotel because you know if you're a doorman, you're the first person. The guests, right? You need to have like great people skills. You have, you and, have yeah. to. You have to. They want. They want yep. the right people up front. And so I did that, and they offered me the job. And I was like, I'm moving to moving to Fort Lauderdale. Now, wait, <laughs> wait. So this is amazing. So you're going to Fort Lauderdale. You got the job. You're going to be a doorman. I'm going to be a doorman. Yeah, and and this is amazing. I mean, who knows who you'll meet, right? No, so I met. I I have one thing I regret. I worked there for over two and a half years. I wish I would have kept a journal because I met so many celebrities coming in and out of that door. <laughs> Um, because it was an upscale, yeah. high end resort well, in South Florida. Yeah, it's kind of like LA, Florida. right? People, oh, I all mean, these people. I mean, just uh, you know, Dan Marino would come up there every once in a while. You know, we had, um, oh my gosh, uh, I mean, I, I talked for 15 minutes with Aerosmith out the front there. You know, when they come yeah. to the concert, you know, to play Fort Lauderdale, yeah. they stayed there. You it, know, and uh, yeah, it was just. Uh, I wish I would have kept the journal. I have so like, and there's a lot of stuff I forgot, but just it was such a cool job yeah well that's amazing too and like your people skills are so sharp so that probably refined right you're like just yeah. used to talking to anybody right well i think that helped me to do what i'm doing now because i was such a shy and introverted kid and i still am in a way you know yeah. I, you know i'm not uh, you know i have no problem talking to you you know sure. it's it, you know i'm very comfortable but i still am in a way and and, and some people are surprised to hear that because i work in television yeah uh but i think i really believe i needed that to help give me some confidence as sure. far as talking to people, this idea of you know being in the public eye too. Sure, sure. Um, and I really think that helped me for this next step. Wow. So I mean, and that's amazing. Like, what an opportunity! You're you're there in it again, another area of the country. You're doing something so yeah. different, but but really developing professionally and personally, even though you might not have known it. You know? Yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, it was just those those. It was two years and seven months that I that I spent there, yeah. and uh, um, I had a, an apartment, a, a cheap apartment. It was kind of an older building, right, basically right on the beach in Fort Lauderdale. So if I worked the morning shift, and our, our shifts went from seven to three, my drive to go to work was along A one A, yeah, Fort Lauderdale, and the sun's coming up over the over the ocean. I'm thinking of Vanilla Ice, you know? Uh, yeah, A1A, 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 yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> um, no, it's, uh, you know, South Florida is just so icon- iconic and beautiful and just, oh, you know, yeah. yeah, but to live there and to be there. Oh, so great. I'm wondering, how does a doorman at a hotel resort in Fort Myers, or I'm sorry, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, become a broadcast meteorologist in T- Tulsa, Oklahoma? Like, how so, does this How, how does, does it happen? happen? Yeah. <laughs> so after a while, you know, um, working there at the, at the resort, I realized that, okay, I have this interest in weather. I have not done anything with it. And, you know, being on the East Coast, being in Savannah and uh, Fort Lauderdale, you know, I watched a lot of tropical systems come through. I had to evacuate twice when I was in Savannah from two hurricanes, um, you know, been through some tropical storms and some minimal, minimal hurricanes. But, you know, I, I, I loved tracking those tropical waves across. And so I had that interest. And then being in the growing up in the Midwest, you know, I had the, the severe weather aspect of sure. it. And I, and I just could not get weather out of my head. I, I, it was something, you know, going back to we just talked about it, as a kid that I just was fascinated with it. And so I realized, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting into my mid-20s. 
I'm like, if I want to do this, I better do it now. Yeah. And so I started looking at uh, going to school. I looked at University of Miami. And I had no idea the University of Miami is a private school. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so I toured the campus and uh, met some of the department there. Uh, and because of my transfer credits, it would have taken me about three years to get the degree there. They were, and that was nice. So when I started looking at schools, sure. you know, they, I wasn't going to have to do the whole four-year yeah. degree um, because of transfer credits. But I looked at how much money it was going to cost me. <laughs> I'm just like... I can't do this. Yeah, it's private tuition. It's <laughs> private pretty pricey. tuition, yeah. and, and you know, I, I don't want to be six figures sure, in debt sure, when, sure. when I finish. So um, I started looking again, uh, and my now sister-in-law, uh, at the time it was just my brother's girlfriend, uh, was a basketball player at Valparaiso University in Valparaiso, Indiana. Okay, and she was telling me, "Is like, hey, take a look at Valpo. Yeah, um, they've got a program there. It's not, you know, at the time." Not extremely well known, but sure. uh, but uh, they've got a pretty solid program there. It's come up and coming, and so I made an appointment to go yeah. to go visit, and uh, I I loved it. You know, it was a smaller environment. I felt like, and which for me being somewhat introverted, and yeah, it, it, I felt like I could do do more there sure, than sure. if I'm in a crowd of people and yeah. to get lost. And back in your home state of Indiana where you back, grew up. Back too. in my home state, opposite end of the state from where yeah. I grew up, but back in my home state. And uh, if I, I told myself if I got accepted, I was going to do it. Now, it's also a private school, not as expensive as uh, as Miami, but I was going to be a little less in debt. Sure, you know? sure. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and it just felt like it was the right fit. And, uh, uh, and plus, with the transfer credits, I could do it in two, basically two years in a summer session. And they had a broadcast meteorology degree as yeah, well. Sure. Uh, so I want to point that out too, yeah. because that's, I, I figured if I was, I was going to do it, I was going to do the broadcast. Sure, sure. Route. Yeah. So it seemed like everything aligned. You could be closer to your, uh, your brother and your future sister-in-law, right? Cause yeah. they were there in that area. So um, it seemed like things aligned personally and then you really liked the program and, and went for it, huh? Yeah. It's basically what happened. Um, and uh, I can remember, you know, I got accepted and, and I was like, I'm doing it. And uh, my cousin at the time lived in West Palm Beach. And, and so when I was moving back to, you know, moving back to go to school, uh, he rode with me yeah. uh, from West Palm Beach just to go visit sure, the family. Sure. And I remember we're driving along and I'm telling him, like, Troy, like, what am I doing? You know, <laughs> I'm moving to northern Indiana where it's cold in the winter and I'm going to leave all this cold and cloudy, cold, leaving the palm trees behind. The palm trees Does anyone have a need a surfboard for sale? <laughs> yeah. uh, scuba gear. We'll yeah. need this. Like, what am I doing? Man, but I imagine getting on campus, getting in that environment, taking oh. those first classes. You're like, wait, this is where I'm meant to be. I was, right? I was so pumped. I, you know, yeah. and, and it was kind of weird. You know, now I look back at it and, it, and, and, you know, it wasn't. But at the time when you're in your mid-20s and you're going to these classes with some 18-year-olds. Sure, sure. You feel a lot you older, You feel right? older. Yeah, you're like, and, oh, man, I'm the old guy on campus. You know, I'm that guy. You yeah. Know? Uh, but it, but it, it worked out. Man, that's really cool. So, and then obviously you're back in a part of the country where severe weather becomes more of an issue. Actually, northern Indiana, even lake affects in the wintertime yeah, and then you're yeah. dealing with your tornado threat hail threat you know you're not in hurricane country anymore so and then um you know how did that work so you're at valpo and then now you're in tulsa was that was that your first job tulsa no, or did you work not, other places it was not my first job um so uh i had uh, some great opportunities um while i was at valpo one of the other reasons why i went there was they had a storm chase team oh, okay a student storm chase team oh awesome and so they had a a, a program to uh, basically they 
it was a class. You yeah. go out for 10 or 11 days, depending on how the weather pattern worked out, and the students do the forecasting. That's awesome. Um, and they pick the target area, and uh, obviously we have a professor or two there to kind of help guide us along. Um, but that was my first storm chasing experience, and sure. that's, that was one of the big reasons why I went there. And the other reason why is um, – they have a great relationship with WGN and Tom Skilling in Chicago. Oh, okay, great. And so uh, my last semester there, I uh, I interned at WGN. So two days out of the week, I was oh, driving, wow. in, driving into downtown Chicago sure. uh, to WGN to intern there. So that's great. You have that connection with the Chicago market. And then mm-hmm. you're, you're centered there in the upper Midwest where you can get easily out to Iowa, Nebraska, Kansas, a yeah. lot of these areas where the severe storms fire, right? Yeah. Um, we didn't do a whole lot of chasing. We I, I can remember we did go out on some local events like across northern Indiana. Yeah. Um, but, you know, during school, unless you're there in the summer, the, you know, our season there is a little bit later. So it's kind of out of out of school. Sure, sure. Uh, unless you're there for the summer. But uh, that's kind of what, you know, really got that fascinating. But I never knew you're going back to your question. You know, how did I end up in Tulsa? Um, you don't really know where you're going to go. You know, you get the uh, degree it, it, and you, you get the degree and you're just trying to find a job. Sure, sure. And, and and it's not that so much of a case now, but it definitely was back then. Uh, when you graduate and you want to go into broadcast meteorology, you're going to go to a small market. Sure. Uh, you're not going to make any money. Yeah. And uh, you basically just kind of earn your keep and then you try to move up. Yeah, sure. I've heard that you, you kind of start at a small market, maybe not primetime shifts, even just d- doing what you can, yep. getting your foot in the door, showing your potential, and then things start improving from there. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's really interesting. So here we are at a Storm Chaser Summit. I know like your passion is for the meteorology and getting out there. Do you do you get out a lot, uh, you know, and, and do some chasing? Yes. And so the fortunate thing for me is my first job brought me to North Texas, Denison, Texas. We covered Southern Oklahoma and North Texas. And I sent out so many applications across the country. And the only one to call me back was, was, uh, was K10 television in Denison, Texas. And I was like, Yes, well, that's. I mean, and for our I listeners, because like, oh, you like could have gotten, Alley. Yeah, right. You could yeah. have ended up in New Hampshire or Maine yeah, or I mean, California I, or yeah, wherever. I, I sent stuff to Oregon to upstate sure. New York, and here yeah. you are in Tornado and Alley. And here I am in Tornado Alley. Yeah, I was like, like oh my god, right on the Texas Oklahoma border, right? Perfect. Yeah, yeah. You couldn't ask for a better. It was perfect. Yeah. Wow. So, how long were you there along the Red Red River area? So I worked there for uh, two years and uh, seven months. Oh, great. Uh, I had a three year contract, but I was able to get out a little early. Yeah. Uh, because of the opportunity that came up in Tulsa, so. So I was, that had been 2005 to uh, April 2008 is when I was in uh, Denison. And what uh, was Texas. it like moving to moving and forecasting in Tornado Alley? Uh, I absolutely loved it. You know, it it uh, um, it could be especially early on a little intimidating, uh, especially when we'd have some of these severe weather events. Sure. So I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I've got to be on top of this, yeah. you know, uh, and I didn't have a chance to do a whole lot of chasing my first couple of years. Um, you know, I mostly stuck to being in the studio. Um, I did get out for my first tornado was uh, April uh, 21st uh, in 2007. So when my storm chasing days with yeah. Valpo, I never, never saw a tornado. Yeah. Um, but that was just, uh, it happened to fall on a Saturday. Wasn't going to affect our viewing area locally. And I went out to Texas yeah. Panhandle and uh, got a tornado there so i had a chance to do some chasing michael is it me or are people in general in tornado alley like very well educated i've been in grocery stores and heard grandmas being like yeah i don't know if there's enough wind shear to you know and i'm like they're just they're, they're talking they, about this stuff like very knowledgeable yes. just in the grocery store yeah and i think that uh, um you know i've found in my experience they are more knowledgeable here 
than you might see in other parts of the country because it is something that, uh, you know, I have no problem talking about wind shear when I'm on the air, like, you know, the ingredients we need sure. for storms. Um, I, I, you know, I, I want to educate in a way I don't want to like overcomplicate things, sure. but I want to educate people too, in the same sense that, so they understand. And I think just, it's one of those situations, the more, you know, the bet, the better you're off. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Information really is power to yes. help you in this case, really make life or death decisions for a lot of the listeners. I mean, in, if you live in tornado country, sometimes you really have to be underground to survive. You know, the, it's not even enough just to stay home. Right. Right. This isn't like an ice storm. This is it could actually kill you in your home. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I, one thing I always uh, try to explain too, because, uh, you know, that is very true. But even on the highest risk days, the odds of a tornado hitting your exact home, your exact spot are still very small. And, and I try to explain that because there's a lot of storm anxiety out there. Sure, sure. People and, get really worried. People get really worried. You know, if there's a, a high risk of tornadoes yeah. and, and that really, you know, I used to take uh, a call um, from a from a viewer uh, anytime we had any sort of risk of severe weather and you could just tell they were really afraid, really yeah. afraid. Yeah. Let's say there's a severe weather outbreak that may happen towards the end of a week, like Thursday, Friday. What does your week look like? Like, how do you start messaging that through the week? So I, uh, I love that opportunity because it, it, this, is my, this is my passion. This is what I've, I've always loved. Um, I do my best to explain the threats that are out there, hopefully in a very understandable manner, um, what we could be looking at timing wise, um, you know, if it's early on in the week, you know, say it's a Monday and we're expecting something Thursday and Friday, I, I always, you know, try to be like, you know, this is still three days away. Kind of give them a heads up. Give like, them a heads up. It's, you know, we don't know exactly how this is going to evolve. And a lot of times that far in advance, you don't know how the atmosphere will line up. Are we going to deal with supercells? Are sure. we going to, you know, deal with a linear situation where sure. we've got a line of storms coming through? Um, but then as we get closer in time, uh, the messaging uh, will become a little more clear, a little okay. more precise as far as timing, uh, the types of storms that we'll be looking at, uh, and, the, and the threats that may come with it. So what about the morning of a big outbreak? I mean, you're looking, everything's looking really prime for Thursday afternoon. You do a lot of morning forecasting. It's, it's Thursday morning. What are you telling your listeners? So I am uh, telling everybody to be, uh, one of the words I always, and I think a lot of people use this, but be weather aware. Um, one of the situations where you want to have your phone with you, get any alerts possible that may come across, um, whether you have a NOAA weather radio or, you know, now with cell phones, you know, uh, these alerts will come right to your phone, which is, which is huge. Um, but I always try to explain to people to pay attention to what the weather is doing. Don't, uh, you know, get caught off guard because that, that's, I think, the most important thing as far as no the danger that it, I don't want to say it is a danger, but uh, just be aware. Be have, aware have of that the threats. Like, yes. like, like this could be a real threat this afternoon. Yes. Uh, stay, stay connected. However you do. Exactly. That. Yeah, exactly. Everybody's going to have their own way of how they do that. But uh, however you do that, you know, make sure you stay connected to what's going on. When there's actually say a tornado on the ground, there's actually maybe a, a, a big hail event, something like that. How are, how are you messaging in that actual when it, when it's really so dynamic and it's actually happening? Uh, if we've got a, a tornado situation where, you know, and I've had it where I, you know, where I'm on, you know, I do mornings and I've had tornado warnings on the ground in the mornings, you know, um, I'm, I try to be as clear as possible, you know, make sure you are in 
uh, taking your tornado precautions. You know, and here in Oklahoma, a lot of places don't have basements uh, just sure. because of the soil. Um, so, you know, interior room away from windows, you know, if you can get underneath something, get under something, you know, uh, that message will come out a lot. Um, I've heard people say in hurricane country, sometimes a bathroom can be good. You have pipes in the walls. Usually it's more interior. Yes. Is is that true in tornado country? That is very, very much. Yeah. If uh, basically you want to put as many walls between you and the outside as possible, because uh, the debris will still come through those those outer walls. We've all seen pictures of two by fours, sure. you know, ending up in somebody's home. I got you. So if you're in an interior closet, maybe that two two by four came through the window, but then it didn't get to you. Yeah, exactly. So it just adds more barriers to slow stuff down yeah. from getting to you. No, that makes, a, that makes a lot of sense. Michael, we were talking about some of the social science side of this, both with hurricanes and tornadoes, just how, you know, why people don't evacuate from hurricanes, why they might not shelter in a tornado, you know, and uh, you were bringing up some really interesting comparisons. Can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, we are learning uh, as broadcasters. This has really started to come up over the last uh, few years. Um, you know, I, I attend other conferences. Um, I've had the the fortunate, uh, uh, been very fortunate to listen to Dr. Laura Myers, uh, University of Alabama. She's done a lot of social science research, uh, really started with the with the super outbreak uh, in April of, of uh, 2011, of uh, how the general public basically takes in weather messaging from broadcasters. And, and uh, we have really tried to work to improve that message to make sure uh, it, it gets clear and, and understandable um, to the public. And uh, we talked a little bit about uh, you know tornado warnings, like why you know, if there's a tornado warning, why aren't you taking cover? You know why? You know, why isn't everyone why, taking immediate yeah. action? Why right? isn't everybody taking immediate action? And and I you know I think we have to kind of as a meteorologist you know think about you know for example we've got we're here at the at the storm chaser summit, fire alarm goes off. How many people here in our con- and, you know if we're in the conference room the fire alarm is going? How many of us are like oh we need to run outside right immediately now. immediately right outside. Probably nobody. Probably nobody. Going to look so, around. Right? Going to look around. You're going to see. Okay, do I see a fire? Is there smoke? You know, you're going to you're going to kind of analyze. You know, what's going on around you to see if you're in an immediate threat. Even though that alarm's going off, you're going to see. Okay, what's going you're on? You're kind of skeptical you? because maybe you've seen a lot of false alarms yeah. in your life. Right? Yeah, you you know, like oh, somebody probably pulled the fire alarm. Sure. You know, it's not even not even uh, it's a false alarm. Sure. You know, uh, and so we see that. Uh, in other aspects of life. It's just human nature. And uh, so I think that uh, that's something that we have to be honest about, you know, uh, and how to approach that, especially if, it, you know, it is a dire situation. You've got a, sure. a, a, a giant tornado on the ground and and, and uh, you're trying to get that message out to for people to take cover. I know historically there were often like really broad warning areas. In fact, they would warn a whole county, right? So maybe yes. a tornado is going to clip the southern edge of the county, but there the, historically they were maybe warning a whole county. So you'd get maybe hundreds of thousands of people are under a tornado warning, but not really in the threat. Are there things that we're trying to do to kind of, um, you know, detail the geography a little bit closer, maybe with more more targeted watches and warnings? Yes. And so there's a few things that uh, that have happened in the past. And, and we see that now if, if you know, uh, 
you know, anybody that has radar and can plot the plot those warnings there on your on your radar, you see now we've got polygons. You know, it's not just the whole county that gets alerted. And you gotcha. mentioned that was a big problem. You know, if you got a fairly large county, but the tornadoes in the far southeastern part, of, it's just going to clip the far southeastern part of the county. Well, you're alarming ninety five percent of the county that doesn't need to be alarmed. And so sure. there was a lot of false alarm rates, and that and that does it kind of goes into what we were talking about how that you know people remember. Oh, we tornado warning. Yeah, sure. Nothing's never happens. Happen. Yeah, never happens. Too many false alarms. Yeah. And so um, that uh, they've done, the National Weather Service has done a great do- job trying to narrow that down. Uh, one of the other things that uh, is kind of in the works now, you know, the way warnings are issued, you, you put the polygon on there, and then when the tornado, uh, the rotation gets toward the end of the polygon, then you issue another warning. And I got you. you. And so what that can do is, like, say you're just outside, but in the in the path and in, in the way it's moving, but you're just outside that tornado warning. But now that next warning is not issued until it's much closer to you. Right, because you, you know, were just outside you're the just previous outside warning. of it. And so now there's uh, work being done that the tornado warning will move with, with the tornado with the tornado so everyone gets at least i don't know 20 30 yeah, minutes exactly or because you are going to have that little almost yeah, like that frogger little move yeah. that little you know hop skip jump that uh you know not everybody's going to get the same warning time uh depending on where you are in the warning so i have i don't know 15 years with hurricanes last year was my first year really doing tornado chasing i'm with my friend jeremiah long we're up in south dakota and there's a we're in a tornado worn storm it just popped up we got like four minutes to take cover and all of a sudden the sirens are going off right how so again i'm kind of new to tornado chasing how often will there be like audible sirens is that like universal it happens everywhere in the midwest and plains or is it is that selective it it, uh most everywhere in the midwest in the plains will have some sort of a siren so you may get out into some smaller communities that that don't but uh um, even most of the smaller communities do. What do you think about that? I mean, how far are those audible sirens going? Is that giving too broad of a net, or is that good? Is that is that more targeted? I think one of the things that, that is, uh, um, if you ever uh, watched James Spann out of uh, Birmingham, Alabama, broadcast meteorologist guy, just one of the best out there. Uh, and he's kind of brought into light, and I think a lot of us now are trying to bring into light that we have to remember that those are outdoor warnings. They're not meant for you to hear on the inside to give you warning. Uh, and so uh, they're great if you're outside. Someone's on a tractor, they Someone, maybe don't have their smartphone, they're just out working in the field, and all of a sudden there's a tornado siren. Yeah, and you know, and now, especially in the day and age of, uh, with how we have phones and cell networks and stuff like that, you know, we can get uh, even better ways to, to get warnings. But, uh, you know, I'll hear, and you'll hear like, oh, the sirens didn't go off, and, and uh, um, it, it's great you know, for what it was, you know, back when they, you know, in the 60s and 70s. Um, but now with new technology, use that new technology to get to get your alerts and warnings in. And it's more it, targeted, right? Would you say like a, your cell phone map, your whatever watch warning yeah, you're going to pull yeah. up from the National Weather Service? And, and different communities will have different reasons to sound the alarms. You know, sure. it's and, you know, obviously for tornado warnings, but say we have a high end severe storm, you know, 80 plus mile an hour winds, you know, uh, for some communities, that's a threshold to, to sound the alarms. Gotcha. And so you're going to have uh, different uh, reasons for those alarms to sound. Sure. And again, it's not meant to be heard inside your home. It's mainly for people that are outside. What about like people sleeping at night? Like it's a, a, a tornado comes through at four in the morning. Are there 
like does NOAA have like uh, watches and warnings that would go off like uh, notifications things yes, like that? Yes, there's a uh, and I don't unfortunately I don't have any off the top of my head. You know, like our um, our app uh, for our station certainly uh, has an alert system that you okay. can uh, they, if you're no matter where you're listening from, I'm sure your local television station sure. will have. Uh, some sort of app that can get an alert sent in. And a lot of that's done GPS. So Okay. Um, so it's pretty targeted. So it's pretty targeted. So if you're in that warning box and or, you know, severe thunderstorm uh, warning box, uh, that alert uh, will will be sent to you. Michael, this, this upcoming season, what does it look like for you? Do you think there'll be times where you get out on the planes to do some storm chasing? How, how does it look? I, I think so. And, you know, we had uh, one of the talks uh, yesterday, you know, how the season might play out. And this is one of the things I've been looking at. You know, we're kind of transitioning maybe out of this La Nina pattern uh, and uh, it may work out that it potentially could give us a fairly active uh, uh, season in the plains and so my job and what's really cool about uh, what I get to do I'm the morning meteorologist that's on the air but if we do have severe weather locally uh, in eastern Oklahoma we actually have two counties in southeastern Kansas that we cover as well uh, I am the primary meteorologist out in the field sure chasing oh, wow. the okay. storms. so you, you get some field time anyway just so for I, your local region yeah just for just for work related purposes yeah. um and so i am uh, kind of curious to see how this uh, plays out this season i in my mind i'm thinking i will be out uh, quite a few times um and then i also like the chase for fun uh, so i kind of have a range during the week you know say sure. you know we cover more eastern oklahoma in southeastern Kansas, uh, uh, in the tel- in the Tulsa television market, um, but if there's a dry line set up, you know, western Oklahoma, and I don't have to worry about storms coming into to our market east, uh, I'll go out and chase it during the week uh, for fun. Yeah, um, and yeah. I I always hope for Friday and Saturday setups like in the Oklahoma and Texas Panhandles. Sure. Where I can get out there and just enjoy. It's accessible this. if you have a day or two. If right? I have it, yeah, it's I can get out there. You know, I can get yeah. to out there in no time and uh, yeah. chase some storms and enjoy a, a storm chase weekend and come back and I'm back to work on Monday. You know, I'm thinking your computer graphics must be like amazing with your background <laughs> in art and like computer, <laughs> right? Because like I'm amazed how much time I spend time making graphics and that's not even my background. You have this academic yeah. background in in a computer aided design and. In art, right? Yeah, and, and I've never realized that I would actually use it. You so know, it probably, it probably helps <laughs> but, you quite a bit. But right? it's helped me quite a bit because a lot of the, you know, uh, a lot of the weather graphics. There, there are a couple companies out there that uh, that are kind of dominating the weather graphics yeah. market right now, and uh, it's basically what I was doing. You know, a lot of these are three D uh, software programs that are geared toward weather do you and, see and some graphics sometimes and you're like i could do a better job of that myself i mean do you, do you customize <laughs> a little bit sometimes i mean some some of the systems are are, are the custom to, to customize it, it can be a little difficult sure it takes i got gotcha. a little bit more work gotcha they have a lot of uh, preset stuff that's gotcha. already in there that you can that you can uh, throw in there um but you can uh have a little fun with it yeah and i and, and i, and I I part try of to art, do that when I have time. Part of art is just having the eye for it, too, and knowing mm-hmm. what looks good. And, you know, and, and that, yeah. I'd imagine you get some choice in that, how you want to present, right? Yeah, yeah. Just, to, um, you know, where do I want the, you know, the text to be on this graphic? Or, you know, just trying to, you know, I know I'm going to stand yeah. here. So, okay, where I'm going to place all this? You know, there is kind of that idea of like, okay, I want this to look kind of good, yeah. you know? <laughs> Michael, how can people find you on social media? How can people follow your forecast? Okay, um, so I work at uh, at uh, KGRH, uh, 2 News, Oklahoma, uh, Channel 2. Uh, KGRH.com is, is the website uh, for the station. I have uh, uh, Twitter, just Michael Sager. It's spelled like Bob Seger. 
S-E-G-E-R. So M-I-C-H-A-E-L-S-E-G-E-R. Uh, just look that up. You'll find me on Twitter. On Instagram, I am uh, M Sager, S-E-G-E-R-W-X. And then on uh, Facebook, you can just find uh, Michael Sager you can find me on on facebook gotcha i'm sure a lot of our listeners are going to want to follow you through through especially severe weather season do you have any last thoughts to leave with our listeners and when you think about severe weather especially like storm season firing in the plains any last thoughts to leave with our listeners you know i think that uh you know if, if you're listening you're probably you probably have a passion for the weather you know um and one of the things that i have really enjoyed being here at the summit is just getting to meet other people with that share that same passion sure and uh if you are out there and and you're listening and 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 you're maybe a little younger and you're not sure if this is a journey you want to take and and you're having some uncertainty just know i also had that at the same time you know i i went to when i graduated high school i didn't even go into this yeah and it's and it's never too late to to pursue weather if that is your passion that's a really good perspective we might have 22 year olds out there that are like i should have gone into weather and i didn't that's your story and you pivoted and got into it yeah it's it's never too late and i think i don't know what the statistics are on it now but i know it's pretty high like how many people do not work in their first degree if that you know that's right so you can still pivot you can can a lot of times there are schools that'll work with um older students right like non-traditional students yeah and uh and it was kind of uh in a way, when I when I, I was nervous about going back to school because I was older, but when I got there, I, I felt like this is my second time around. I felt more like, okay, now yeah. I know what I need to do. A lot do. of times older students, and when I say older, even mid-20s, right? You, mm-hmm. You're more focused. You know what you want to do. Yeah, exactly. You're a better student. Yeah, exactly. You know, I was, you know, the first time through, I was kind of naive. I was like, ah. Oh, yeah, I'm you just, don't just, know. I'm you don't have the like, confidence. Yeah. You know, I, I want to you know, do well. And, and I was fortunate to do, you know, well that first time around, but at the same time, I was just so naive to what, yeah. to what I needed to do after, you know, Michael, very last question. I have this picture in my head, which may not be true. I picture everybody <laughs> from Indiana is a basketball fanatic. You're oh, wearing an Oklahoma city thunder I, sweatshirt. Yeah. I, how, what level of fanatic are you? I, I enjoy I, it is so true. Have you ever watched the movie Hoosiers? Yeah, of course. That's what and, made me and, think of and, it. And so I'm from a very small uh, town of 500 people in, in southern Indiana. And basketball, I mean, it just rules in Indiana. And, and uh, you know, you got it. You got the basketball goal there on on your barn. You know, and and uh, you, you can't know, escape. You it. can't it's escape. Everywhere, right? It's like as soon as as soon as you're born, the doctor gives you like, hey, here's your basketball. You know, <laughs> so it's really true. See, this <laughs> it, is, it is really yet another true. thing we're learning here. And and uh, there was a, a, a they used to not have a class system in Indiana. Uh, it was all the schools were going for the state oh. tournament. They were all in the same group. You mean if your small school, if your small school, big school didn't matter. You were in the same group. And, uh, and you know, they, they ended up going to a class system, which I think it, it has worked. But, boy, when they made that switch, everybody's like, no, even the small towns, you know. We, they want to compete with the big ones. We want to compete with the big ones, Man, you know. so it is serious. Huh? It, 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 was, it was just it was such a fun atmosphere. Um, I still enjoy the game of basketball. You know, being in Oklahoma for so long now, yeah. I try to get too few Thunder games. And, and uh, um, never played uh, competitively. They, I, you know, I – I could dunk a basketball back in the day. I'm a little too old now. Um, I could shoot uh, pretty good from three. 
And well, I, uh, I had to ask. I knew you were from Indiana. <laughs> I see you wearing a sweatshirt. Um, we've been with Michael Sager here at the National Storm Chaser Summit in Oklahoma City area. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Well, thank we're you. We're really thank excited you. to follow you this uh, se- severe uh, storm season as well and just keep updated with what you're seeing in the field, what you're seeing on your forecast from, from Tulsa, but beyond as well yeah, as you travel and, around the plains. And uh, I'm assuming you're coming out chasing this spring? Yeah, I, I'm going to be out, I think, at least a couple weeks. Okay, um, and uh, we'll definitely have to try to catch up uh, if uh, hopefully we cross paths. For sure. Um, we've been with Michael Sager here on the GeoTrek podcast, li- recorded live in the Oklahoma City area here in early February. Again, the heart of severe weather season really March through, I guess, May and June. We'll just have to see how it plays out this year. Absolutely. Thanks, Michael, for coming on the podcast. Oh, thank, really appreciate thank it. You, thank you so much for having me. Well, Michael, that's a lot of great content that we covered here on the podcast. Let's look back at three points that really stuck out to me in our conversation. The first is the overall perspective that it's never too late to get involved in science. Michael's unconventional path through an undergrad degree in art, working as a doorman at a hotel in South Florida, and then getting a degree in meteorology in Indiana is proof that taking an unconventional path into professional science work is totally possible. This is a theme we've covered several times on the GeoTrek podcast. You may remember in episode 44, answering career questions from a high school student, I shared a bit about my story, like how I was a baggage handler for an airline when I was 30 years old. Before I turned 40, I had a doctorate in the field of climate science and was flying to Germany to present at a conference. This theme of an unconventional path to science work also stands out in episode 31, Creative Paths to the Sciences at the EVAN Conference. In that episode, we hear the story of several scientists that took creative and unconventional paths to arrive where they are today. But perhaps you're 32 years old, you have two kids, your finances are super tight, and you're saying, there's no way I could make a career change now. While that might be true for you right now, there still are choices you can make to get more involved in the weather and science community. You could become a skywarn severe weather spotter, providing critical observations to the National Weather Service during severe weather outbreaks. Or you could become a rain and snow observer submitting daily observations to the COCO-ROS network, which helps hydrologists forecast floods. Involvement in the weather community is a great opportunity as well. I met Michael at the National Storm Chaser Summit, where participants were a mixture of professionals and hobbyists who all had the same passion for extreme storms. The National Tropical Weather Conference is another amazing community offering weekly online conferences during hurricane season. You can get involved in that community from the comfort of your own home. So the big picture here is that it's never too late to become involved in the weather community. The second take-home point I thought was really important was Michael's advice to take shelter in the most interior room of your home if you're threatened by a tornado and do not have a storm shelter or basement or a way to get underground. Strong tornadoes can cause exterior walls to fail or even project debris through windows and walls, so the more walls you have between yourself and the outside, the safer you're going to be. Michael helped correct a false perception I had. You can hear in our conversation, I suggested that people need to be underground if they're threatened by strong tornadoes. He helped us understand that because of soil types, not all homes in places like Oklahoma actually have an underground storm shelter or a basement. I had not realized this, so I was thankful for Michael's perspective on this topic. As you can see, a lot of times on the GeoTrek podcast, I'm learning right alongside of our audience and always very thankful for knowledgeable guests like Michael that can help us see more realistically and understand what's really going on there on the ground. Finally, I really liked what Michael shared about staying weather aware when severe weather threatens. 
He mentioned how tornado sirens were really designed to be an outdoor warning system, whereas today's smartphone technology can provide more precise and targeted warnings. Consider signing up for severe weather notifications from your most trusted weather source to keep you alert if you're in the path of a tornado. I really like what he said as well about improved tornado warning guidelines that will essentially make tornado warnings roll along with the advance of the storm to ensure that people in harm's way will get adequate warning time. I had not known about this before, but I think it's a great advance in the technology. Well, thank you again, Michael, for coming on the GeoTrek podcast. We're really excited to follow you this upcoming storm season. The heart of severe weather season is during the spring in the Plain States and through portions of the Midwest and Southeast. GeoTrack will be providing several more podcasts about severe weather, hail, and tornadoes as we approach the storm season, and also on social media. A lot of our video content will be right there during the heart of this upcoming storm season. A special thanks as well to our GeoTrack marketing and production team, as well as you, our faithful listeners. Like Michael Sager advised, stay weather aware, and we'll catch you on the next episode of the GeoTrack podcast. <laughs>